We are um, going to spend some time in God's Word here this morning, but we're going to do it a little bit different. I'm uh, going to kind of back into a few texts uh, throughout our time. Normally I come uh, and lead right in with the reading of Scripture, kind of typically in, in, in this place I'm trying to bring out from the text what's there for us to consider. I'm still doing that this morning, but in a little bit more of a topical fashion. So I'll be kind of dipping into the Bible as we go. So what I'd like to do before I even just introduce some things is um, pray. Would you mind praying with me? God, we, we rejoice. We rejoice in the birth of our Savior. And we know that it happened historically over 2,000 years ago now, but we also know that by way of the new birth, you are being born, as it were, in countless people all over the world by way of your spirit. As you come and make, even in, a, in some way, Nick Weber, Bethlehem, when you take up residence in this broken, fallen man and renew and clean and God, Christmas invades. Not just at the turn of of the centuries, but even now. And so Jesus, we invite you here. We rejoice in all that you have done for us and all that you continue to do. Lord, we pray that um, whatever chaos we've been walking in with the holiday season, um, if it has been stressful, if it's been hard, if it's perhaps even been depressing or sad, Lord, we pray that right now you would um, reorient us. You would help us to gather with the shepherds around the manger and stand in awe that the Holy God from all eternity set aside glory and took on flesh to save sinful men. Would you use our time together in your word to that end and more, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so, uh, you guys probably got in the bulletin um, handout, and on top of the handout, the title of this sermon. And I titled the sermon, The Mess That Christmas Makes. And as I was um, considering you know, what I was going to title this message, and then I was kind of crafting this, I kind of wondered how people would take that, what they would think I meant by it. And uh, what I wanted to do here for just a moment is explain what I don't mean by the mess that Christmas makes. Um, I don't mean, I'm not talking about the mess that Christmas makes of, say, your living room. On uh, Tuesday of this week, uh, your living room, probably, if it's anything like mine, will look like a toy store just blew up inside of it, wrapping paper, tinsel, I don't know uh, what sort of decorations you have, what sort of paper you use, but it's going to be all over the floor. That's not the kind of mess that I'm talking about. I'm, I'm not talking about the mess that Christmas makes, maybe of, say, your schedule. Um, 
I don't know how many of you feel this, but you come into December and while I absolutely love the holidays and as a kid when mom and dad were in charge of all this, uh, I just enjoyed it. As a, as a parent, as an adult now trying to be an adult, it is stressful. I mean, you got decorations you feel you got to put on, lights you got to put on, parties you feel like you got to attend, uh, gifts you got to buy for this, that, and the other. And, oh no, we forgot this person. And it goes on and on. And then on top of that, for uh, my family, we have um, two birthdays in December. So it is, it is pure chaos. In fact, Megan and I were both talking about, we're just, you know, we got to start planning for December. If we want to survive, we got to start planning for December in like August. I got to, you know, I'm going to start listening to Christmas music in August, getting into the, you know, getting into the vibe, buying gifts, preparing, because it's that crazy. Christmas can make a mess of our schedules, but that's not what I'm referring to here. One more thing I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about how Christmas makes a mess of, uh, should I go there? Yeah, maybe I will, of our budgets, right? Am I the only one who kind of doesn't want to know uh, how much we spent this month on this or that gift? Just go for it. When the smoke clears in January, we'll kind of check out, we'll assess the damage, right? But that's not the sort of mess I'm talking about. When I talk about the mess that Christmas makes, I'm referring to the mess that the arrival of Jesus makes in the world in general and in our lives in particular. And I realize you might not gather where I'm going with this, but I trust by the end that you will. I I don't know if you've noticed, but if you look closely at the biblical narrative and the Christmas story, you'll see that the birth of Jesus makes a serious mess of things. That it's almost like from that little manger there in Bethlehem, all sorts of chaos starts spiraling out around it. Now, I I think we're prone to miss this um, because of, say, maybe some of the carols and some of the things that we sing, some of the traditions that we have. The, The popular notion, it seems to me, concerning Christmas is that it was like this peaceful, quiet, pastoral kind of scene in the hills around Bethlehem, and there's, you know, a little a little, little uh, star twinkling up above, and the sheep are kind of snuggling with the cattle, and Jesus, he doesn't even cry, he's, he's the son of God, for goodness sake, so there's no, there's no crying babies, he didn't even whimper, just a halo glowing over his head, and uh, everyone's coming in and loving this, angels are kind of humming, you know, up in the skies above, and all is right. We see that in, in things that we sing, like, like Silent Night. Silent Night, Holy Night, all is calm, all is bright. Round yon virgin mother and child, holy infant so tender and mild, sleep in heavenly peace, sleep in heavenly peace. It's got, oh, that sounds so nice. The arrival of Jesus just brings this peace, brings this rest. And yes, of course, we know Ultimately, that is what Christmas brings, right? Jesus came to reconcile man with God, to to bring us to peace with him and give us a peace that we didn't even know we could have. Ultimately, bring in shalom to the entire cosmos through his life and his death and his work. But gosh, if you look at the Christmas story carefully, what you see is that to get there... We're going to have to go through a lot of mess. 
There's going to be a lot of things shaken up. There are going to be some serious problems, and it starts right away. So maybe they did have one nice silent night there in Bethlehem. I don't know. But if you're looking with me at at the Christmas story that, forgive me, I'm assuming uh, many of us are familiar with it. I mean, you're going to see things like this. There's no room for them at the end. So they're with the animals. Animals make a mess. Last time I checked, I, I think they do. The only people God could seem to kind of get uh, on the invite list to his son's birthday party were the grungy shepherds out back. And a little while later, uh, some, some, some mystic kind of Gentile guys come from the east. But it seems that everyone else around Jerusalem wants to kill this kid. And so the Magi are on the run. Did you catch that in the story? God comes to them in a dream or an angel, and and, and they're like, well, we've got to get out of here to save our heads. Joseph and Mary as well, on the run with baby Jesus, going to Egypt. I mean, that doesn't sound fun. Traveling with a little kid is not fun, even when you have them packed up in a nice little minivan. Imagine doing that when you're like, what, on a donkey or wherever? I don't know where they're going or how they're getting there. That sounds like a mess to me. Babies are being slaughtered around Bethlehem. People back home, now this is just conjecture, but I think it's safe to say people back home are probably starting whisper campaigns about Jesus' family. About Mary's, what seemed to be, infidelity and then joseph's cowardice to not do anything about it just kind of oh well we'll kind of keep it quiet and then jesus now being spoken of as as if some sort of a bastard child you know just whisper listen i know they were but this is the mic listen i know they were betrothed and all but didn't you see her belly popping out when uh before even the wedding night i saw that i know she was five six seven months along before they even said i do or whatever right What's that all about? There's a mess. The arrival of Jesus in Bethlehem, Christmas, makes a mess of things. Now, there's a lot I could bring out on this. I'm going to bring out just two things for us to consider. First, Christmas makes a mess of our secular ambitions. Second, Christmas makes a mess of our religious facades. Ultimately, I hope you know, and we'll get there, he makes a mess to clean us up, right? He makes a mess of these things to redeem, save, and bring in that peace that we know he came to give. But we'll get there. First, Christmas makes a mess of our secular ambitions. Um, All of us, in one way or another, have what I would refer to as secular ambitions. And what I mean by that are simply ambitions, desires, vision, plan for our life that don't involve God in any way. They didn't originate from Him. They're not centered around Him. They're not, uh, uh, we don't have them with concern for Him. It really, these are kind of ambitions that we have that kind of orbit around what you might call the unholy trinity of me, myself, and I. We have these ideas, we have these things that we want to see happen in our lives. 
And we don't care what God has to say about it. In fact, it might seem God is a threat to those things. Maybe you want that house on a hill. Maybe you want that girl down the street. Maybe you want that job with that company. Whatever it is, you have these ambitions and you're after them. You want it. You're going. And what I'm saying here is that Christmas, the arrival of Jesus Christ, whether in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago or in your life here this morning, is going to make a mess of some of that. It's going to throw some of that, some of those plans, some of those ideas, some of those cravings and desires out of whack. That's what Christmas does. To help you see this, let me introduce you to a man by the name of Herod the Great. This man was appointed by Rome as king of the Jews there in Judea. Uh, what we see in Matthew's gospel is Matthew 1, Jesus is born. Matthew 2, Herod catches wind of it and he responds. Let me show you how he responds. This is uh, Matthew 2, verses 1 through 3. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold... Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was, what? Troubled. Not overjoyed. Not in awe that the king of all the world would come to him. Not excited, not relieved. Troubled. What's that going to mean for me? So I wonder if you saw why he would be troubled. Matthew, I think, makes it quite plain, even in those few verses, tries to highlight why uh, Herod would be troubled in these moments. There is a clash of kings going on here. Did you catch that? Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? When Herod, the king of the Jews, heard this, he was troubled. What do you mean to say there's another king? What do you mean to say, you know, you want to come and see someone else? I'm right here. <laughs> Here's the king of the Jews. Grovel at my feet. Why are they just walking on by? He's choking on the drink in his chalice, right, at that point. Going, wait a minute. I want to be king. The birth of Jesus is a threat to Herod's political aspirations, his secular ambitions. So the chapter continues, and by the end of it, we read that he sent his soldiers to Bethlehem to kill all the male children. Anyone who could potentially be this uprising king of the Jews, he wants to put that down before it even begins. Kill the babies. I don't care what I got to do. I want to stay on the throne Christmas is making a mess for Herod and his secular ambitions. It's messing things up, stirring things up. There's a problem here. There's another king laying claim on my life. I don't like it. Christmas will do the same for us, right? 
There may be areas of your life even now where you don't want to surrender. You don't want to let it go. You know, might have to do with your finances. It might have to do with your sex life. It might have to do whatever. We might be willing to give Jesus some things in the margins of our lives. Like, okay, we'll give you Sundays. Okay, well, I'll, I'll give you 10%. Okay, I, I'll give you a Bible study here and there. Okay, I'll come to church on Christmas and Easter. Okay, I'll do whatever I think I can do to kind of give you a little bit, but you're not getting this. I will rule, I will reign over this. And what Christmas comes in and says is, listen, if you want the Savior to move in, in a saving way, He can't just be Savior, He must also be Lord. And if He's Lord, it means you're not. And that is going to make a mess of some of our autonomy, some of our self-rule, some of our plans. Christmas is going to make a mess for us. But second, Christmas makes a mess of our religious facades. Uh, It's not just the secular people that have trouble with the claims of Christ at Christmas. Uh, It would also be the religious as well. That Christmas is going to stir up and confront Uh, We are all created in the image of God. Law of God is in some way written on our hearts, even by nature. Romans 2.15 would say we all have this innate sense that we ought to be moral, ethical, better, right. There's something in us that knows that that is important. Okay, And so we are constantly trying to reassure ourselves that we are. Whether that means doing good deeds over here, you know, I fed the poor, I gave some money, I did, we reassure, I am a good person. Or maybe it means simply comparing yourself to a worse person, right? Anybody play that game? I am not a bad person, because at least I'm not that guy. I didn't do what he did to his wife and kids. (laughs) This is small. We have this innate sense that We need to be better than we are. We need to be right. This is one of the reasons why if you... Now, this is actually part of the problem. No doubt you can see this clearly in plenty of people in your life. I wonder if you see it clearly in your own life. But we're always trying to rationalize. We're always trying to justify. We need to prove to ourselves at least and others, if we can, that we are right. This is why it's so hard for us to own sin. Own our own junk. Okay? So what we'll typically do is blame. Like, it's my dad's fault. That's why I drink the way that I do. I learned it from him. Or, my wife made me do it. I mean, if she showed more interest in me, I wouldn't be so drawn to the secretary who showed interest to me in me at work. My affair, my adultery, her problem. We're going to rationalize, we're going to justify, we're going to push back and not want to own, because we know, deep down, gosh, we've got to be right. We, need, we should be better than we are. Try to prove it to ourselves and others if we can. One of the ways, here's where I'm going with this, that we try to do that, we try to reassure ourselves that we are good, it's actually by using 
religion. Using religious deeds, religious practices. Hey, I came to church. I did that good deed. I said that prayer. I gave that whatever. I am now good. We, 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 we take this comfort in what we've done. Oh, I am a good person. I did my thing. I did the thing. And other people in my family, man, they know I went to church. They know, I'm, you know I did X, Y, and Z. And I make sure they know. They think I'm good too. Right? This is what I'm referring to when I talk about this idea of religious facades. We put something on out here that makes us feel better and look better, though truly we're no better in here. So for this, what I want to do is um, talk to you about the Pharisees and the Sadducees for a moment. I want to show you how Christmas makes a mess of those facades. Christmas gets behind, gets underneath, gets inside the stuff we present on the outside. I'm good, I'm right, I'm, I'm, I'm awesome, I'm holy, look at me. And Jesus goes, no, you need me. Um, so Matthew 1, Jesus is born. Matthew 2, we see how his coming, his arrival affects uh, the secular Herod and his ambitions. Matthew 3, we continue on and we see how his arrival now affects the religious. What it's going to mean for them and their facades. John the Baptist is commissioned by God to prepare the way of the Lord. And what he's doing is he's out in the wilderness calling people to repent. Before we can throw the party... We gotta repent. There's a lot of sin. There's a lot of stuff. If we're gonna make way for the Lord to come, we gotta turn from all the junk that's going on. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Verse 2 of Matthew 3. So people are coming to Him. And they're repenting. They're confessing sins. They're being baptized in the Jordan River. And, and news about His ministry reaches the religious elite there in Israel. And so they're coming out to see what is all this about? This, this loon is wearing, you know, camel's hair and eating locusts. He can't be something real. And yet all these people are coming out after him and following him. What is this all about? So here they come. Now listen, this is verses 7 through 12 of Matthew 3. Here come the religious people. When he saw, this is John the Baptist, when John saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, those are the religious leaders there in Israel, Coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, The axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he, Jesus, who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff... He will burn with unquenchable fire. Well, that just made a mess of things, didn't it? 
Did you hear? I don't have time to do what I normally do and turn that into a three-week sermon series. Um, We're just simply going to need to point out one thing here. Jesus' arrival is a massive threat to the religious leaders of his day. Did you hear that? I mean, this would have floored any within earshot of John. This would have floored them. Pharisees, Sadducees, religious leaders, Pharisees in particular, known for their meticulous observance of the law, looked so holy, so pure on the outside. Facades. John sees them coming and goes, oh my goodness, now my ministry is going to gain some steam, some public, you know, uh, uh, access because the leaders are here. We've made it, ladies and gentlemen. No, he doesn't. He says, you brood of vipers, what are you doing here? This isn't a part of your religious game. This is where it gets real. Do you want to get real or not? Because Christmas, and this is really the point here, Christmas, the arrival of Jesus, is going to make a mess of those facades. Jesus sees through the stuff that you guys are putting up to what you really are. It sounds harsh, but he calls them snakes. Slytherin and sneaky and deadly when you strike. Jesus knows that there are many reasons um, for a person to engage with religion. Religion itself is not a bad word. Don't, don't hear me say that. It's what we do with it. It's empty religion that is, that is the problem. And Jesus knows that there are some who are going to engage with God's people. Let's just put it in our context. context. Come to church on Sunday. They're going to sing the songs. They're going to go to the Bible studies. They're going to uh, want to serve. And it's going to be from a heart for lo- from, from love for God and love for others. But then there are, there are going to be some, and this is the tragedy, that are going to see in the church an opportunity for more self-glory, more, hey, let me reassure myself that I'm good. Let me get other people to tell me that I'm good. So I'm serving to get the pat on the back. I'm reading so that people know I read, or that I at least, I'm doing this good deed so I can pay back for what I feel bad about doing yesterday. I'm a Tony. I'm doing this, my own little thing here. And really, at the end of the day, it's not love for God or others. It's love for me. And Jesus is going to, Christmas is going to strip that down, expose. These guys here, these Pharisees and Sadducees are being exposed. They're being uncovered. They're not seen as righteous anymore. Anyone within earshot of John is going, oh my goodness, what is he talking about? What's underneath these guys? And they don't like it. Uh, Christmas is making a mess of their image. They like being in a separate category. And Christmas is going to say all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are in need of his redemption that is a gift by his grace given to us in Christ. One of Jesus' major taglines is going to, is going to, or one of his major ministry kind of uh, dynamics is going to be, listen, the, 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 the religious leaders, You're actually further from the kingdom. I'm going to hang out with the tax collectors and the prostitutes. They're closer. Because they're closer to owning, I am a sinner. 
I'm messed up. I need you. These guys, they're so reluctant. So though they look awesome, Jesus would seem to be saying they're even further away than those that are lost in sin in the muck of it and look so dirty on the outside. This is why the religious leaders hate Jesus with such vehemence. This is why, just like Herod, okay, just like Herod is going to try to pursue Jesus to, to kill him, the religious leaders are, even from the beginning, starting to scheme. How do we get this guy out of here? He's, he's, he's removing us from our post. He's calling out what we want no one to see. Crucify him. Crucify him. Christmas is making a mess for them, and it's going to do the same thing for us. It is. Christmas is going to confront our self-righteousness. That's what it's going to do. Christmas says that we are so far off the mark, so helpless in our sins, so unable in and of ourselves to climb our way up to God, that He had to come down. I thought of what Tolu said a couple weeks ago here because it just struck me. It kind of shocked me a bit. Maybe it did you as well. He said Christmas is first an indictment before it's a celebration. And I thought, no, I want to celebrate. I want to, oh. But he's right. Is it a celebration? Absolutely. And I hope you go and you celebrate these next couple of days and into the new year rejoicing that Jesus has come for you. It is absolutely an incredible reason to, 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 uh, to celebrate Jesus in love for sinful man came. I mean, that's why you have, you know, the angels declaring to the shepherds there, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. I mean, this is good news. This is great joy. The angels are singing, so should we. But we can't miss the fact that Christmas is also a threat to our self-righteous, hey, I'm pretty good sort of a mentality. It's going to confront us and say, listen, Jesus didn't come down from heaven to high-five humanity for being so awesome. He came down from heaven to die for humanity. Because we were so depraved, so lost, that's what we deserved from a holy God, and He didn't want it to go that way. So we got to reckon with that. Jesus isn't going to let us play church. He's not going to be impressed with our religious games. Other people might be, but not him. He doesn't care about our church attendance or how much we give or or our eloquent prayers if he doesn't have our hearts. You catch that? If it's just a facade, he doesn't care about it. What he wants to get us to, what Christmas is aiming at here, is to, is to come into the deepest, darkest places and say, I want to heal you there. I want to touch that. I want to go after that. And that means you and I, brothers and sisters, end up on our faces before the cross going, my God, can you save a sinner like me? 
Answer, yes. But we got to get there. We got to get, we got to drop the image, drop the facade. We got to get there. This is why the first step in AA, NA, want to know what it is? I have a problem and I can't do anything about it. Help needs to come from outside. That's what Christmas is. If you're in that place, it's celebration time. If you're wanting to maintain your sense of self-worth and dignity and, and righteousness, well, it's a threat. And it's making a mess and you're uncomfortable even in your seats right now. This is where I wanted to end here. Asking a question. I've already alluded to the answer all along the way, but I want to make it plain. Why is Jesus making a mess? Why is Christmas making a mess? Why is it not just the streets are are lined up, everything's great, and, and all is working well? Why, when Jesus comes, does everything kind of spiral out into chaos? Why Couldn't he do it another way? Why is he doing it this way? Is he just kind of a rebel without a cause? Is Does he have a a mission, a point? Again, of course, you know, hopefully, what the answer is, but what the angel says to Joseph in Matthew 121 makes his purpose in his arrival abundantly plain. This is what he says, Mary will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, Yeshua, for he will save his people from their sins. Yeshua means Yahweh saves. So in other words, why are we calling His name Jesus? Why did Jesus show up? Because He saves. Because we need salvation from our sins. Or if we were to put it another way, whatever mess Jesus is making with this stuff out here in my life, What he is ultimately after, what he is ultimately doing in Christmas, with Christmas, is cleaning me up in here where I need it most. Yes, my secular ambitions may be falling apart. Yes, my religious facade may be coming down. But Jesus is going in and he is healing me here. Jesus knows that our secular ambitions, our religious facades, as much as we love them, as much as we try to go after them and uphold them, they are destroying us. And He has so much more for us than we even realize. So it is in the utmost love, with the utmost love, that He confronts, that He comes and makes a mess of the stuff out here in Christmas to get us towards salvation, to give us something more. Think about this with Herod. Return to his story for a moment. Herod so desperately wanted a throne, right? He was willing to do whatever it takes to get that. In fact, what we know from history, though, is that his desire for this throne to be this king was destroying him. He was an Edomite. He was from Esau, and so not a legitimate Jew. And so none of the Jews saw him as a legitimate 
king in the line of David. And that infuriated him his whole reign. He couldn't get them on his side. And what it ended up doing was causing him all sorts of turmoil. And he goes into kind of paranoia. He's just freaked out that everybody, because he wants the throne so bad, he's freaked out that everyone is after it. So it's not just babies that he kills, you guys, in his madness. It's three of his sons, two of his wives, one of his mothers-in-law. He just If, if, if you think you're going to get to my throne, if I even think you're after it, you're dead. You're dead. It's destroying him. His secular ambitions, apart from God and, and coming under the reign of Christ, it's destroying him. And that is the irony, is it not? We struggle to let go of these things, to release these things to King Jesus, because we think they're going to bring us the most joy. That's why it's so hard. That's where I'm going to get my joy. That's why I don't want to let go of it. But truly, it's those things we think are going to give us the most joy that are destroying us. They are going to work the greatest destruction. And Jesus is coming in at Christmas. He's saying, let me have it. What is it? What is it? You can't say, Jesus, take it. Take me, do what you want with me. What is it? He's saying, put the gun down. Here's here's the again the ironic thing. We think we're aiming the gun at him, like you better stay back from my kingdom. He's saying, You don't realize the gun is aimed at your own heart. Put the gun down. My son, it's so funny. So I like Nerf guns. Listen, you want to know what to get me for Christmas? For the past thirty years. All I have asked for Christmas is Nerf guns, all right? That's all I want. I, th- I think. I think I see one wrapped under the tree, so I think I'm good this year. But my, I, you know, I get myself, I love my son. He's got Nerf guns. He's only two. I'm trying to get him going, right? He doesn't have the, the, the strength in these fingers to pull the trigger yet. He needs daddy's help. But what he figured out is his thumbs have the strength. And so what I'll find him doing, he turns the gun around. <laughs> And he's ready to pull it, and it's going to come at him. And it's funny, but it's an illustration of what I think is happening with our secular ambitions. We think we're aiming at the enemy. Step back from my kingdom. Jesus said, put the gun down before you die. I want to heal you, Herod. And anyone else in here is hunkering in and ready for the fight. I want to give you rest. It's exhausting trying to be king when you're not a king. It's exhausting trying to... What'd they say? Are they after me? What'd they say? They think that guy's better? How do I keep that? It's exhausting. Let it go. This is like that wonderful text in Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. This is our king. This is what Jesus wants to give. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I'm gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I love that. It just jumped out to me. as You will find rest for your souls. You think Herod perhaps had rest physically? Maybe so. He's laying on a cushion. But while he was there, his soul was in turmoil. 
Who's coming after this cushion? Who's going to get What'd they say? King of Bethlehem? King of the Jews? Go kill him. You know, there's no peace there. There's no lasting peace. I don't know why I did that for so long. Did you catch that visual? Is that good? He wants you to have the Christmas, though it confronts and makes a mess of things. He wants you to have that rest and that peace. That's why he's here. Look again with me at the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Again, Jesus knows that what we think we need, what we want so badly, what he's making a mess of, he knows that that stuff is going to kill us. It's destroying us. What the Pharisees and the Sadducees wanted so badly was to see themselves and be seen by others as right, as good, to be known in the community as the righteous, holy one, to be praised. But here's what Jesus wants to do. Jesus wants to make them truly good. He wants to make them truly right, truly clean, not just whitewashed tombs, but alive and bursting forth with fruit. Keeping up the facade of religion is exhausting. You're always trying to censor yourself when you're around the religious people because you've got to make sure you say the right Christian words, but then you also want to go and live this life as well. And you can't, you're, you're not at peace in either realm. It's exhausting. Or trying to pay back for all the bad that you've done. Listen to me, you're not going to be able to pay back. That stuff on your conscience, maybe you got some really dark black stuff from your past, things that you did. And, and, and if you're not careful, and if you kind of go down deep, and what you realize is, man, I have been my whole life kind of trying to pay back for that. Trying to tell myself that's not who I am anymore. And, and, and I'm kind of living in light of that still, trying to cover it, trying to, to work it out. I'm just telling you, you're not going to be able to pay it back. You want to know what you do with that sort of stuff? You take it up, you wrap it in a nice bow, put it in a box, get the paper on it, with all your guilt, all your shame thrown in there, and you give it to Jesus. That's the craziest thing about Christmas. What do we give Him? He gives us His life. He gives us His grace. He gives us His righteousness. He gives us His love. We give Him our sin, guilt, and shame. So wrap that baby up, put a big old bow on it, give it to him, and then walk with him. Walk behind him, follow him from the manger to the cross, from Bethlehem to Calvary, and watch him pay for it until he says, it is finished. And then you know, it's been paid back, but I didn't do it. He did it for me. Talk about an end to the exhaustion of religious exercise. Am I good enough today? No, I failed. Let's climb back up. Rest in Christ. It's amazing. That's where Christmas wants to take us. I wonder if you noticed the threat John the Baptist made to the Pharisees and Sadducees. It fell upon Jesus at the cross. What was the threat? You brood of vipers. You're not bearing any fruit. The axe is laid at the foot of the tree. If you, if you don't repent, we're going to cut that thing down and throw it into the fire of God's wrath. 
That is Jesus on the cross. Though he was the only true vine bearing fruit. Cut down. Thrown into the fire of God's wrath. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was baptized in God's wrath so that we could be baptized with his spirit. And be made new, washed from the inside out. It's not just a facade anymore. (laughs) It's from the inside. Well, let me tell you. Are we perfect? No. This is the thing about Christians. Actually, we're the first. We should be the first to say we're not. That's what the cross means. We come out in the light. We come out of hiding. And we let him touch. We let him heal in those dark and dirty places. So Christmas is going to make a mess of things. But his goal is to clean us up to save us. Certainly, my testimony bears witness to this reality. He made a mess of my ambitions and my self-image and what I thought I was. Now I'm on the floor. Clearly, I'm not in control. If you are, save me. Wow. And I would wager that majority of people in this church, same sort of things. How he cleans us up is by first making a mess of all of our plans and all of our little things that we think are so cool. Because he loves us. I'll leave you with this. I still remember. Um, I was a college pastor, many of you know, back in St. Louis Obispo for five years. And I still remember what this one girl said. It was one of the best things a person could have ever said uh, to me in, in light of what Jesus was doing in their life. Uh, I still remember what she said to me after one of our Friday night gatherings. She came up and she goes, Jesus is messing up my life. And she said it with this radiant smile. Like I came in here thinking I knew where I was from and I knew where I was going. Had the five, the ten year track. I thought I knew what I was going to be. My trajectory was laid and Jesus is with a bright, radiant smile messing all of that up. But I found him And he may mess it all up. But he's making it all better at the same time. Amen? Let's pray. Yeah, that's what I want for all of us here this morning, is to be able to say with a radiant smile, Jesus messed up my life. I had plans. I had thoughts. I thought I knew where I'd be. And he's changed all of it. Lord, I pray. That if there are some with Herod here this morning refusing to release, trying to play the king and ready to go to war, God, I pray that you would uh, call them, even in these moments, to set the gun down, lay down the arms, find true rest. Lord, if there are uh, Sadducees and Pharisees in our midst, those that love the religious game, don't love you, Lord, I pray You'd call them out of hiding. You'd help them own their need for help. You'd help them see the depths of their depravity, that they can't climb their way back up to you. They can't climb their way back up to righteous. It has to be gifted to them from above. God, lead us to the manger. Lead us to the cross this morning. We thank you, our Savior, our Lord, that you bring good news of great joy and you brought salvation to all. In Jesus' name, amen.